If you're looking for employee learning and training ideas, how to innovate your learning process, or the newest training trends, you've come to the right place. This is the Learning and Training Podcast. Welcome to the Learning and Training Podcast. I'm Stephen Maggi, and today's topic is a 21st century look at power and empowerment, the key to leadership in life. Everybody talks about power and empowerment and what that really means. It scares some people. It's an important part of managing. Really, in the 21st century, the whole idea of this has changed, and we have the perfect person to talk with on that. Eric Kaufman, the president of Sagatica, a great company and really an interesting guy that has thought this stuff through. And in fact, he's got a book coming out that you're going to want to get later this year called Leadership Breakdown, How to Break the Vicious Cycle, Release the Struggle and succeed with conscious leadership. And the conscious leadership is what we're going to talk about a lot today, and particularly in regards to power and empowerment. So first of all, Eric, great to have you on. And in your introduction, you kind of talk about what brought this to you and why you had to think differently about these subjects in the 21st century. And it was a response to uh, your daughters, right, coming to you and saying, uh, hey, we're not comfortable. You might be confident in what's got ahead. We don't see it. Uh, yeah, thank you for mentioning my daughters. I, it was um, it was kind of of a wake up call, a revelation of sort, right? To have my daughters at the time. They're now twenty one and nineteen, so this is a couple of years ago, and they were lamenting about the kind of shitty conditions that they're experiencing in life, not just COVID related, but sort of looking at the economy, looking at you know global tensions, looking at geopolitical issues, and looking at how the future as far as they're concerned is terrifying and um my my youngest daughter as a matter of fact said you know i don't want to have children i don't want to bring children to this kind of a world it's that's an eye-opener really, right i mean it really a, is yeah that's a good, it's a great eye-opener and 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 i thought that you know there was something sort of particular to my kids but i've talked with parents of an actual sort of teenage and young adults for the last couple of years and that sentiment is really well distributed. I mean, there's a lot of young people that are sort of pessimistic about being able to raise children in the near future. And that's, that's, you know, that's a disturbing social reality. Absolutely. And what I found fascinating about it is, as I read through it, I thought, my first thought was, okay, well, they're coming from a particular political standpoint. Then as I read the way you approach power and leadership, it doesn't really matter which side of the political persuasion you're on. You're going to have to deal with this in either way in a whole new approach because these type of issues and the way we look at problems, and I guess this goes back to the Industrial Revolution right now, right? Because it... it is the way we establish things for the last hundred years, but now technology and the way we look at the world and the interconnection globally, you can't do it that way anymore. You can't. I mean, that's spot on. You can't do it this way anymore. The um, the evidence is pretty clear, right? The um, the labor market is reeling, right? It's a total employees market, and the employees are having a hard time finding people to fill positions. There's this thing called the great resignation, right? As people have been dropping out of the workforce. Um, some of it's COVID related and some of it's not, but the, the reality is that um, we cannot run businesses the way we have for, you know, 200 and some odd years. Right. And, and this is not just some kind of a, Oh, as a 
you know, kind of a liberal, you know, soapbox he's standing on. It's a fact of every business. And this is not just in America. I just came back from a week and a half in Europe, and they're dealing with exactly the same stuff, right? This is a matter of the world has changed. Society has changed. The economy has changed. The Internet has changed everything. And why do we think that business can run the same way it has when everything else has changed around it? Well, let's start at the very beginning then. What does empowerment actually mean? So people hear those terms power and empowerment. So kind of if you could kind of define that and then talk a little about where this is changing now in exact response to what you've been talking about here, the changes of the way uh, our whole economy worldwide has changed. So, yeah, power and empowerment um, have changed in, 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 in principle and in, and in uh, sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Principle is the practical. It's also changed in terms of how we think about it, right? And there was a time where you just did what you were told. Do what you're told, right? And this was true for raising children, right? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that people said children should be what? seen but not heard, or, you know, sort right, of right. Effect, right? And that, that's, we're not talking about thousands of years ago, we're talking about, you know, 50 years ago, maybe, 40 years ago. Um, so, you know, we were, we were told what to do, and that was at home, that was at work, and that was by the government, that was by the, the, the religious authorities, and so power was very orchestrated and organized and in the hands of those in authority. And so even the notion of empowerment is fairly new, you know, because for hundreds of years, arguably thousands of years, the seat of power lay in those who are defined as the authoritative leaders. And as the world has shifted in technology and communication and social changes, as people have become more accustomed to democracy, as the Industrial Revolution created the middle class, which is something that didn't exist 200 years ago. There was no middle class. There was the, the royals, and there was the, 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 um, the laborers, and there were peasants, you know, but there was no middle class. So we have middle class. We have democracy. We have an amazing availability of resource information. We have a massively more educated society than we've ever had. The notion that power can so obviously rest in the hands of the few is no longer real, let alone desirable. And so empowerment, fundamentally, is our ability to make our own choices. Empowerment really is our ability to affect outcomes and to have influence over our lives. And that's something that has changed in our personal lives and our social lives and certainly in the workplace. We're talking about defining roles, too, and I, I read your stuff, and I it saw, like, within an hour, a thing of Downton Abbey, and that was a perfect example of what it used to be, where there was this royal family, they were born into it, they run everything, and it kind of works okay, because everybody understands their role. Well, now those roles are suddenly changed, and that's where that power comes in, right? You don't have the same roles, and certainly you don't, you're not born into this power anymore, at least not the way it was back then. <laughs> I love that you bring up the royal family, right? There's all this kind of royal family hoopla in the news, right? I mean, think about it. That there was an actual law, I kid you not. This is, this is not, I'm not making this up. Way back in... in um, in the Middle Ages, that 
on the wedding night of any couple in the, in the country, the king could select to spend the night consorting with the new bride. Okay, that was a pretty messed up law, but that was a, that was a thing, right? Kings could have whoever they wanted because, yeah. well, they were the king. <laughs> now we have Prince Andrew who got stripped of his military medals and is, you know, is getting all kinds of trouble because he's implicated in sexual misconduct with, uh, with the whole Epstein affair. Even the royal family of England is, is not immune from the changes in society, right? You can't just have carte blanche power and do whatever the hell you want. There is a sense of accountability and there's a sense of, you know, a wish for justice where power can no longer just be um, wielded single-handedly uh, to someone's great benefit. So it's just fascinating that you mentioned the royal family, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very real in-the-moment example of the shift in what we experience as power. And um, we are, all of us human beings at this point, attempting to find our personal power, our inner power, our capacity to be in charge of our lives. And it's a time where the conditions around us are really quite complex. And so we have great complexity and this awakening of power and empowerment, and it makes for a very juicy period of life. Well, and everybody's trying to claim power. You know, I, I thought of when you were talking about the, the old Mel Brooks thing of it's good to be the king. Well, <laughs> it's still good to be the king, but now all of a sudden there's groups, and you, you talk a little about the, the Me Too movement, uh, BLM, and literally across the board, where does that come in in terms of, does ability become a bigger player now in the role for power than it used to be before? Or is, is there still this battle going on for uh, where you were and what college you went to and all that sort of thing? Oh, wow, that's a really interesting question. So you're asking whether, you know, have we arrived at a point where society is really a meritocracy, right? Where you can get rewarded based on what you do and what you know and what you're able to accomplish, yeah. As opposed to sort of a, you know, a pedigree or where do you come from or your network? I don't think it's to the point where it's just about ability. I think that, you know, privilege and network and pedigree and heritage still have a real role to play in terms of people's access to power. And by that, I mean, you know, we, we have to define power here in two ways, right? One is the personal power, the inner power, my ability to choose my own path in life and to make distinctions and choices in my life. And then there's power and authority, right? So there's the authority that comes that has that, that and those are not exactly the same because I, I want to, you know, I'm interested in talking more about our inner power, our personal power, our capacity to be empowered in our own right. Um, and then there's a conversation to be had about authority. Um, but I think that we have not arrived at a time in society where meritocracy, where just pure ability determines the, uh, the degree to which we get paid or recognized or voted into office. Um, I think the network, I think the, not the background, but the network, right? The network of people is still in a, I mean, it's a, it's a huge source of power. So um, it, both are going on right now. There is more opportunity for individuals to be empowered and the system, right, sort of the, the pre-existing context is still remarkably determining who gets to have authority. 
however you got there, leadership has changed. And you talk about taking on the mantle of stewardship. And I find that fascinating because for we grew up in an era where business was supposed to go out and make a profit and try to dominate an industry. And that was it. And now you're saying that's changed. You also have to take on some responsibility, which really to the culture as a whole. And where did that come? And and you say this will actually be a good thing. This is actually a way where the leadership, where it looks like in a way they're concerned about things they shouldn't be. In reality, it's exactly the opposite. They'll actually have more power if they can do this properly. You know, Stephen, that's, I think that you, you've nailed one of the most sort of critical elements of this whole process, right, which is that the, uh, you know, historically, and we're talking about, let's go back 150, 200 years and beyond, right? So let's go 8,000 years all the way back to 200 years ago. For that whole period of time of thousands of years, the people who got to decide what happens to other people, to society, to the culture, were either you know the chief or the king or the queen or the priest, right? That's how it went on for thousands of years. And then, to the point you made earlier around the Industrial Revolution, we start having this emergence of a new class of leaders, right? These are the, as, as the emergence of industry and business and has grown and capitalism has really evolved, we suddenly have these business leaders that have sway over their society because they have money, they have contacts, they can, they can make things happen. They can actually, you know, like the, the, the Rothschild bank finance the wars in Europe. So they could actually determine not only political, but, but, but military affairs. And so they grew in power. And now what we have is that the trust in government has waned the expectation from our religious leaders has declined. And what we have at a global level is that the leaders of business are the ones who are the de facto shapers of human experience in human society. Now I'll give you like a really simple example. This was the, the, you know, this, there was a spate of school shootings and gun violence in the U S it was, there still is, but you know, there was a real spate of gun violence where, uh, especially the school shootings and folks in the U.S. were up in arms going, what, you know, we need to do something about it. And I don't know if you remember, this was maybe a year and a half, two years ago. The government did exactly nothing. All governments did exactly nothing. But you know who mobilized and took action? Um, Walmart, Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, Delta Airlines, businesses, meaning executives and business boards they're the ones who stepped up and said, you know, this gun violence is untenable. We cannot have this in our society. And they began to make changes through their business to the access to guns and the acceptance of, of uh, you know, funding the, the, the gun lobbies and so forth. And so it's a fascinating moment where we can see, even in something as divisive as gun rights and gun ownership, the government is paralyzed, but private industry, businesses, which is to say leaders, are making choices. And this is true for every one of the social uh, sort of conditions that we're facing, right? Whether it's homelessness or poverty or reproductive rights, we're seeing that it's executives and their teams that are actually deciding what to fund and what to support 
and how to affect people's opinions. And so we've moved significantly to a time where business, and, and there's no such thing as business, right? Business is a construct. There are business people. There are executives. There are leaders. Where leaders through their businesses are shaping and forming our society and our planet, the actual physical planet. So this is a time unlike ever before in history where unelected, you know, yeah. these are not sort of, you know, politically elected, nor are they sort of ordained by God, right, to the church. Right. Meaning these are ordinary citizens that have reached some power, some, some power by their leadership are now literally in charge of human society. Back with Eric Kaufman, president and founder of Sagatica. In a moment, you're listening to the Learning and Training Podcast. There's a first time for everything, and equipping your team with the confidence of practice and familiarity can be tough. At Epsilon XR, we embrace the trial and error of on-the-job training without being, well, on the job. We create immersive training experiences with virtual and augmented reality that give your employees an opportunity to learn and practice in safe environments. Want to hear more? Go to EpsilonXR.com. This is the Learning and Training Podcast. You're saying we've seen a shift in moral authority, which, and, and who, who would have thought that it would be going to the boardrooms and that kind of thing of these corporations? You know, and you mentioned before unelected. Is the thought that if they did something that was particularly repugnant to a large group of people, then the argument back instead of votes might be just not using that particular company's products and so forth and forcing a change in uh, whoever leads in that industry? That's really, I mean, that's a really astute point, right? Because we've seen as a as a sort of corrective force that there are, you know, boycotts, right? That the market, as it were, what's what's the market? The market is a collective of people who are who who have purchasing power, right? So you and I, with our dollars and with our with our attention, have a way of affecting these leaders, right? And mm-hmm. so there is there is a. It's not a perfect mechanism, but there is a bit of a um, feedback loop. Um, but, but, but yes, we have unelected officials, right? They're not officials. We have unelected um, power brokers that are shaping society. And, and this is what I believe to be very critical, right? It's important that they recognize that they have become the stewards of society, right? So Tim Cook and... Uh, and Mr. Zuckerberg and these sort of leaders of big companies, they don't get to say, well, well I'm, just, I'm just running a business. Because they're not just running a business. Apple is determining cultural norms. Facebook is the gatekeeper for information and, sh- and, and shaping how the world experiences itself, how we experience one another and the decisions that we make. And so I, I don't think they can anymore be sort of free to just say, it's just, I'm just running a business. They are not just shapers of society. They're stewards. They're the ones who are, who have the responsibility to care for. And I don't think it's enough to just have sort of a corporate social responsibility plan, right? Like, well, we're going to donate this amount of money to this kind of good cause. I think this needs to run deep into their consciousness. This needs to be a felt level, real time shift in our corporate leaders to help them fully recognize this moment 
and to get them to buy into the inevitability of their responsibility. So what do you think about Elon Musk then? Because there's a really interesting guy who kind of plays by his own rules. By that, I mean, you never quite know where he's going to go. And it's interesting, but you you see the power he has. I mean, he can move the stock market by just a tweet, which is fascinating to me. How do you see that as power? And do you see more Elon Musk coming around? Or do you think it'll become more for lack of a better phrase, bureaucratic, where you you kind of have to uh, run these ideas down a little. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that, you know, we're definitely stepping into a time where we'll see more of these sort of titans of industry that are shaping. I mean, you're right, right? He puts out a tweet about this or that, and the market moves, right? He, he just got contracted by NASA to build the next space station. Right, so the, the, we have private industry now building the, inter, the you know the international what's called the, the international space station. Right, is going to come crashing down to Earth on purpose in 2030. They're building a new one that's being built by Tesla and some other some other um, companies banding together, and the government's going to rent back from private industry this international the new international space station. Are we going to see more of them? Yes, we're going to see more of them. Yeah, because we've moved into a time in history where we are really a society driven by and, and powered by and ruled by um, industry and business. And so I don't know that we can just have a bureaucracy to fight them. I think this is a, this is a losing proposition that we've been dealing with for a long time, right? So, you know, there is no sort of pure capitalism as the capitalism was intended like in the 17, you know, mid 1700s. Because ideally, capitalism wouldn't have any regulations, right? It would just govern itself by virtue of the market. But that's proven to be ridiculous, right? There's been regulations all throughout. So there's this cat and mouse game between, you know, regulators on the one hand and businesses on the other. And if we're going to continue that form of bureaucracy, we're screwed because it hasn't proved to be effective. What we need is a is a is an awakening and a participation among these leaders. And it doesn't just have to be Elon Musk, right? It can be John Smith listening to this program or, or, or Jane Doe listening to your program. But they can wake up and recognize their power, both personal power as well as positional power, and make some choices about how their business is not only being wildly successful, which I wish every business can be wildly successful, but also meaningfully responsible. But Eric, this is exactly why... What you're doing, I think, is so important, and we need more people doing it. As people that participate in this, and we all participate, we need to understand this. Because the worst thing that can happen is, well, they know what they're doing, and you leave them alone. We have to understand it so we can participate and so forth. And if the rules have changed even how you get power... You got. You better know how to do that, and you better know, you know, what the what the reasoning is, and so forth, and, and really understand the philosophy of this before you try to uh, play in this game. Yeah, and and to your point, I want to have you and me, my daughters, everyone of my employees, all your employees, anybody who's listening to this. I want all of us as human beings to be able to wake up to our individual power our inner power, our personal power. Because I don't think it's going to be enough to try and either, you know, legislate and regulate companies into, into sort of taking responsibility, nor is it going to be enough to have all these business leaders <clears throat> awaken to the inevitability of their responsibility. 
the third leg of this, and you know, there ought to be three, right? Yes, let's have some collective legislation. Yes, and equally importantly, let's have an awakening of responsibility on behalf of those people who are the commercial titans and or just commercial leaders. And thirdly, let's do what we can as quickly as we can, as much as we can, to help every human being awaken to our own personal power, to our own capacity to choose, not to live from fear and not to live from a place of, you know, subservience, but to arise to be able to live in my, your, our sense of personal authority. Well, one thing I want to cover before we go, because I think it's really important, and, and you talk about something that, you know, at first it, it seems to be an oxymoron, and then the more you think of it, the more it does make sense. You can actually gain power when you take yourself less seriously, and that's a matter of, of not becoming all self-involved, because if you're all self-involved, this doesn't work. Amen, brother. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I write in my book and I talk about this with my clients and audiences that, you know, the number one barrier to our power is this thing that I've come to call ego myopia. Ego myopia is the inability to see and manage our own ego. And what happens when we're stuck in our ego myopic ways is that we are governed by sort of two urges that the ego has. One urge is to be safe and the other urge is to be special. And so we spend our lives bumping from activity to activity, from person to person, from project to project, trying to be safe on the one hand, you know, don't hurt me, don't screw me, don't, don't make this difficult for me, I want to be safe too. Now, you know, on the other hand, I want to be special. Notice me, see how great I am, see how wonderful I am. And so this massive amount of energy that gets distributed and, and wasted as we're trying to be safe on the one hand and special on the other. And what we end up doing is we end up taking ourselves very seriously. Right? Because this is a serious business of being safe and a serious business of being special. And so we become increasingly more self-centered. And in the self-centeredness, we don't actually gain power. We're wasting our power. We're wasting our power because we want to, you know, what's one way to be safe, right? One way to be safe is to people, please. If I get people around me to, to, to like me, then they will include me and they won't hurt me. Boom, I'm just wasting my power because I'm giving it to other people. What's, an, what's another way to sort of be safe? Uh, well, I can blame other people for what happened because if I, if I blame, then I'm not going to be accountable. If I'm not accountable, then nobody's going to punish me. Then I'm going to be safe, right? right? Every time I blame, boom, I'm wasting my power, right? What's the way to be special? The way to be special is to stand up in the meeting and take credit for my, everything my team did because if I take credit for what my team did, I'll be considered <clears throat> brilliant and special and remarkable and valuable, Boom, I'm wasting all this energy because I have to suck up the energy in the room. My proposal is that if we don't take ourselves so seriously and recognize our power, not, our, not, not, not that we're small, but we're already powerful, and we do the opposite of trying to be special, but we make other people around us be special, especially as a leader. If you as a leader spend the time making it less about yourself and more about other people around you, by definition, you are amplifying their capacity, their success. And as you amplify them, they amplify you. You become more what? Sought after, trusted, desirable. People become more engaged. Net net is what? You are inherently more powerful. You can get more done. And so, yes, there's a direct correlation between reducing my need to be so freaking special and take myself so seriously doing something to continue to empower and enliven other people, and by result, I become more powerful. 
So it's really a different way to look at leadership. A lot of people think that, uh, like like you say, hey, I, I, I need to, a tremendous amount of self-confidence to be able to do this because people will see it and they'll follow. But then I think of a guy who just passed away, great John Madden. I kind of know him a little bit. And his thing was kind of like, let everybody do their things. Consequently, if his big thing was, hey, you know, pay attention to meetings. And uh, when I ask you to play on Sunday, you play like hell. You know, you play as hard as you can. That worked, and he was consequently able to bring in people that didn't make sense at the time but as a team and make them play together as a team. Is that kind of the type of thing you're looking at? Where, and, and, and I think really it's, it's a confidence in yourself that, hey, I can, I can uh, pass some of this uh, power to other people, and it's going to actually work to everybody's better good. Exactly. I mean, you're, you're saying it beautifully, right? And he was a beautiful example of this exact practice, which is to say he didn't have to be the one who's taking himself so seriously. He had to take the process seriously. And to take the process seriously means that he attended to the people, noticed their particular genius, ability, contribution, and unleashed them to be the best version of themselves that they could be. And lo and behold... He looks like a freaking genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's do more of that. Do you think, and this is kind of the final question on that, but as people that deal with it, not the people on the top, but the people down on the in the bottom areas, do you think it's it, once you're comfortable that like somebody – we used him as an example, but somebody in that thing where they're not taking themselves that seriously, where it's it's not a matter of just imposing your will, but rather kind of uh, bringing parts together. Does that ultimately give those people more power to help him do more or her do more in that leadership position? Absolutely. I mean, because what happens is when, when, when he does that or she does that, right, the people who band together and give themselves to you, right, they, they contribute, they they engage, right? This great quest of the 21st century business to have engaged employees, right? Mm-hmm. What is an engaged employee? An engaged employee is somebody who is committed to their role and shows up in such a way as to advance the mission in the best way that they can. And so if I, as a leader, am creating an environment where people feel safe on the one hand, and more importantly, they are empowered. In other words, I am not holding them back from shining their particular skills and talents, but I encourage that, I amplify that. If I do that for the people on my team, they're engaged with me, engaged in their work, and they will amplify my effort. At the end of the day, I'm going to win because they win. Not because it's like, you know, morally right or because God said so, because it's just the mathematics of human interaction. If I help you have a better experience, you want to help me back because reciprocity is baked into our genetic code. And so the more I will bring opportunities to the people around me to shine, the more they will return the favor and help me shine as well. Eric Kaufman, you call yourself an executive mentor and sage, and I have to say I totally agree with that. If you've got a company out there and you want to bring in somebody, boy, I I can't recommend Eric enough. Eric, how do we get a hold of you, and uh, how do we find out more about all these things you're thinking about every day? My website is my company name, Sagatica, S-A-G-A-T-I-C-A, Sagatica.com. I think if you Google or if you go to Eric Kaufman, Kaufman with two ends, dot com, you'll arrive at the same place. I'm on LinkedIn where I share little wisdoms and tidbits about executive leadership, you know, I don't know, three, four days a week. 
And um, I have a YouTube channel called Sagatica Wisdom, and uh, I have some videos on there that I share as well. So, or info at Sagatica.com if you want to email me directly. I think it's well worth the time. If nothing else, you have to go to his website and look up the little part where they go, if you want an expanded version of my background, click there. It is great. It is it is a different way to look at somebody you're thinking about doing business with. Well worth the time. Eric, thanks a lot. Hope to have you on again. Thank you, Stephen. I really appreciate your time and attention. Want more information on what you heard today? Contact us at team at learningandtrainingpodcast.com. And if you're looking for even more learning tools and resources, check us out at EpsilonXR.com.